Welcome to the Digital Edge with Sharon Nelson and Jim Calloway. Your hosts, both legal technologists, authors, and lecturers, invite industry professionals to discuss a new topic related to lawyers and technology. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the 92nd edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises. And I'm Jim Calloway, director of the Oklahoma Bar Association's Management Assistance Program. Today, our topic is Windows 10, what lawyers need to know. Before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsors. CloudMask offers cost-effective and efficient data encryption for law firms, whether large or small, in Google Apps, Office 365, and other cloud solutions. Sign up now for your 60-day free account at cloudmask.com. We also thank ServeNow, a nationwide network of trusted pre-screened process servers. Work with the most professional process servers who have experience with high-volume serves, embrace technology, and understand the litigation process. Visit ServeNow.com to learn more. We are happy to welcome once again our good friend Ben Shore. Ben is a technologist and chief executive officer for Roland Shore & Tower, a professional consulting firm headquartered in Flagstaff, Arizona, with offices in Hawaii and Oregon. He is also the author of several books and many articles on technology. His books include The Lawyer's Guide to Microsoft Outlook, The Lawyer's Guide to Microsoft Word, and One Note in One Hour. He's been a Microsoft MVP for more than 18 years and involved with management and technology for more than 25. In his small free time, he's an Ironman triathlete and a high school football coach. Thanks for joining us today, Ben. Thanks, Jim. It's always great to be back with you guys. Well, Ben, I know you know, because we're friends, that I am numbers challenged, but I know you don't count 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 10, but Microsoft does. So what the heck happened to Windows 9? Uh, well, that's a pretty good question and a common one. Uh, there's, there's a lot of answers to that question. Uh, most of them, I think, are just jokes uh, and not really the truth, but uh the best answer I've gotten to that question so far from the guys at Microsoft has been that uh, it was a marketing decision and that they wanted to show that Windows 10 was a pretty significant departure from Windows 8. And so what they did is they skipped Windows 9 uh, in an effort to communicate that, you know, this isn't just a, a minor update from Windows 8, but, but really a complete departure. And hopefully that gives, let people give it a fair chance. Well, Ben, on behalf of those of us who are still uh, comfortably sitting with Windows 7, uh, did Microsoft finally return the start button back? Well, you know, Jimmy, in, in fact, they kind of did. You know, one of the biggest complaints, in fact, probably the biggest complaint about Windows 8 was that the uh, the touchscreen start screen, and the start screen was the replacement for the start menu in Windows 8. Uh, that was the screen that contained all the tiles. And, well, that was, a you know, an okay experience on a tablet device. Uh, the reality is that most people, and especially most lawyers, still do the majority of their Windows computing on a on a computer with a keyboard and a mouse, a, a desktop or a laptop, typically. And the tiles just really weren't a very good experience uh, on a non-touch device. So uh, w- with that lesson learned and properly chastised, uh, they went back to the drawing board a little bit. And what they've given us in Windows 10 is a start menu that looks a lot more like the Windows 7 start menu. Uh, in fact, uh, when you click the button, the start button, and you do have a start button on the left, right there on the taskbar where you're used to seeing it in Windows 7. 
then what you get now is a, is a column that looks very much like the old Windows 7. It's a, it's a little more stylized, which shows you your, your most recently used or most frequently used apps. Uh, it's got uh, buttons where you can click to show the sort of the all programs kind of kind of button like you were used to with Windows 7. Uh, there's also links right there where you can get into Windows Explorer or you can get into Control Panel and Settings. Uh, also where you can hit Power so you can do, res- you know, that was one of the other things with Windows 8 is they, the initial release, they hid how do you restart or log out. Well, that's right on the start menu like it used to be where you can click Power and you can reboot or shut down. Uh, but then what they've also done is they've sort of given us a little bit of the Windows 8 experience, and that next to that, you now have a very narrow pane, although you can make it as wide as you like, that does contain some live tiles. You know, people, even people who didn't like the full screen of tiles tended to think that the, the live tiles were kind of nice in some things. So, for example, the weather app, having a live tile that shows you the current temp and and you know what the next three days are going to look like. That's kind of a nice feature. So, so they did retain some of the better features of the tiles, but they did it in a much smaller uh, format, and they retained or, or brought back some of the features of the Windows 7 start menu that people liked. And it's also much more configurable. So now when you click that button, rather than getting a full screen that's a little bit disorienting, you just get a, you know, a, a little box that pops out that, like, for example, on my machine is, is not even a quarter of one of my monitors, uh, which is a lot more familiar to folks who like the start menu. So are they really sending Internet Explorer to Boot Hill and replacing it with Microsoft Edge? No, no, that's a, that's a common misconception. Um, and I've even seen some of the tech journalists say Microsoft Edge is the replacement for Internet Explorer. Well, maybe it is eventually, but it's not anytime soon. Internet Explorer is still with us, Internet Explorer 11. It's a little harder to find in Windows 10. It's been sort of uh, deprecated, but, uh, and by deprecated, I mean it's hidden a little bit. Um, but you still have Internet Explorer if you need it. Um, Microsoft Edge is a, is a is another browser, not a replacement. And Microsoft Edge is, is Microsoft, for those who don't know, is Microsoft's sort of bare-bones browser. People have criticized Microsoft for years for not really taking Internet Explorer, you know, to Jenny Craig and, and slimming it down because it tends to be, you know, pretty slow and bloated in some cases. Um, and so Microsoft Edge is them recreating a browser from the ground up and it's a little bit more like some of the third-party browsers that, that people are fond of, like Chrome, in that it's, uh, it's quite fast. Uh, it is, however, uh, have a lot of functionality stripped out of it. But honestly, that's functionality most people don't use very often anyway. So I'm not sure how important it is that that functionality is not there in, in Edge. But no, Edge is not really a replacement for an Explorer, at least not in the immediate future. Uh, it's just a new, fast experience for browsing. Well, Ben, as far as I'm concerned, anytime they bury Internet Explorer, it's a good thing. But Yeah, ditto that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, today, personal assistants are all the rage with Siri and Google Now, and but they're mostly limited to mobile devices. And Windows 10 includes Cortana on a desktop computer. Have you experimented with that much, and what's that experience like? You know, I have, and actually, you know, I was a little skeptical when I first heard they were going to put Cortana on the desktop, Although, but I am a Cortana user on my mobile phone, and I do like Cortana there, so I figured, you know, I'll, I'll give Cortana a fair shot on the desktop, and I'll tell you, I'm really impressed. It's, it's not quite Jarvis from Iron Man yet, but it's getting close, kind of close. The other day, I, you know, I walked into my office, and from across the room, I said, hey, Cortana, and my computer woke up. It wasn't. It wasn't off. It was just. Uh, it was just idling. And I said, uh, "What time does Staples open?" And Cortana did a 
few seconds of searching and came back and said to me in her voice, and keep in mind, I'm still six feet away from my computer. So I haven't even gotten to my keyboard yet. And Cortana comes back and says, your local Staples isn't open yet, but it opens at 9 a.m. And on the screen, it displayed a little little uh, thing map of how to get to the local Staples, which I already knew. But what a nifty feature to be able to just, from all the way across the room, say, hey, Cortana, and ask it a question like that and have it give me the answer. Not a page of search results, but the actual answer. Uh, it also lets you do some really interesting things. So, for example, one thing I can do is say, hey, Cortana, what's on my schedule for tomorrow? And I get... It pops up a little page, and it says, I see five things on your calendar tomorrow. Uh, and it shows me a list of what's going on. I can have it reschedule things for me. I've occasionally toured Cortana, you know, if a meeting gets canceled. Hey, Cortana, cancel my 3 o'clock. She takes it off my calendar. Uh, you can use it to send emails. Uh, you can use it to do all kinds of interesting uh, searches. You can ask it what the weather is uh, or what the weather is going to be tomorrow, and not even in your local location. I've... Uh, gone off to uh, speak at conferences and say, hey, Cortana, what's the weather going to be next week in Tulsa, Oklahoma? And sure enough, there it is. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's pretty nifty. Now, of course, like all voice recognition technologies, it does depend on you having a relatively quiet environment. I'm fortunate that I work in a, a, a fairly private room here. Um, and other than my dog, I don't have uh, other coworkers chatting or barking or uh, listening to music and things like that. So, um, so I'm in a situation that's fairly ideal for Cortana. If you if you work in a sort of cubicle farm, you may not find it to be quite as good an experience. But uh, I'm actually pretty impressed with what they're doing with Cortana on the desktop as well as on mobile. So, what servers do that does all that run through, and is the information stored? So Cortana runs uses Bing as its back end. That's Microsoft's search engine, and I'm not intimately familiar with where all of the details are stored. Most of it, I believe, is synchronized to your Microsoft Live account, which is your, your, the same thing that synchronizes OneDrive and uh, that uses uh, your Microsoft account. Uh, as you may know, with Windows 10, just like with Windows 8, uh, when you sign in on multiple devices using the same uh, Microsoft account, some number of your settings and files actually synchronize between the two devices. Um, and so I believe they're using the same Microsoft Live account to store the data and, and settings that you have for Cortana across multiple devices. But a lot of the things are just searches against Bing, especially things like weather and stuff like that. Uh, now, my calendar is in, is in Microsoft Exchange Server, and Cortana actually just interfaces with Outlook on my local device to look that up. Uh, so it doesn't, it doesn't have that access to anywhere in a server other than the Microsoft Exchange Server in Office 365. Okay, that, that's a lot clearer. Are there other advantages over Windows 7 or 8 that 10 offers people? And can I make the second part of that question, you know, should lawyers upgrade, and if so, when? You know, uh, Windows 10, in my experience, is generally a little bit faster. Um, that's been one of their mandates. Uh, you know, Windows, Windows 8 was faster than Windows 7, usually, not always, but usually, on the same hardware. And Windows 10 is designed to be tighter and faster on the same hardware than even Windows 8 was. So one advantage is you, will, you should get a, a little bit of a performance improvement with Windows 10, generally. Your mileage may vary, of course. Uh, Windows 10 is uh, a little bit more secure than Windows uh, 8 was because, uh, you know, they're always learning and closing, uh, closing various vulnerabilities. Uh, and, of course, Windows 10 is going to have uh, longer support than Windows 7 or 8. Uh, Windows 7 support goes out of support, I believe, in 2020. Uh, Windows 8 would be a couple of years after that. And so Windows 10 should run until at least 2015. Uh, 2025, excuse me, um, before it goes out of support. So uh, you're going to have those advantages, plus, of course, the new features with the new 
start menu. There's a new file manager that replaces Windows Explorer. It's a little bit uh, evolutionary, the new file manager, but it's pretty nifty. It has a real emphasis on recently accessed files and folders, which is kind of nice. Um, I do a lot of scanning, and then I go to the get those scans, and I either upload them somewhere or I send an email uh, with a scanned attachment. Uh, and it used to be that I'd have to I'd scan the file in to my, to my local hard drive, and I'd have to go open that location and attach the file. But now when I click File Explorer, right after I've scanned a document, it recognizes that a new document is in my system somewhere, and it gives me a, a, basically a link directly to that document, which saves me a lot of time in tracking those documents down and attaching them. So that's just one example of where the new File Explorer is a, is a definite improvement over Windows 8. Uh, and there's a, other, a lot of other little nice things. There is a notifications uh, capability in Windows 10 that didn't exist in the previous operating systems. It's sort of modeled after what you're used to in mobile phones, where you, you get a notification when there's an email or an appointment or a reminder of some sort. It's okay. I personally, I don't find it that useful because most of my notifications come from Outlook, and so it's a little bit redundant. But, uh, but some people will probably like the new notifications capability. Well, I've been hearing lots of rumors about Windows 10, so let's give you a th two or three of them here to confirm or debunk. I've heard that Windows 10 uses a lot of bandwidth. I've heard they may even be using my computer to share updates with other computers. And I know a lawyer who knows somebody who knows somebody who swears that the automatic updates upgraded them to Windows 10 without them even asking for it to be done. Any truth to any of those rumors? <laughs> Uh, as with many rumors, the answer is yes and no. Does Windows 10 use a lot of bandwidth? The answer to that is, yeah, it can. Uh, and the, the reason for that is that Windows 10, uh, more so than any of its predecessors, is going to be predominantly deployed by download. Uh, you know, with Windows 8, a lot of, some people upgrade to Windows 8 uh, via download. Um, a lot of people who upgrade to Windows 8 upgraded by getting a, a DVD. Uh, of course, most people, I think, got Windows 8 when they bought a new computer that came with it. Um, with Windows 10, you'll, of course, you'll still be able to buy computers that come with it. But if you're upgrading to Windows 10, uh, that's going to be almost exclusively delivered to you via download. Um, I believe it is still possible to get a DVD of Windows 10, but uh, that's certainly not the way that they're trying to get you to upgrade to it. And so when you're downloading an entire operating system, much like Mac, like Apple's done with most of their Mac uh, OS upgrades, and you're downloading that entire thing. I mean, that's uh, it's over three gigabytes in size, so that's that's a fair bit of bandwidth. One of the reasons that they did the about a few weeks before the the launch date, which was July 29th, they did this thing where people started to see a pop up on their system tray that offered them a free upgrade to Windows 10, uh, and if they clicked that. And what happened is Microsoft pre-staged some of the bits, some or all of the bits of Windows 10 on their machine. So over the next few weeks before July, the, the July 29th launch day, people were already in the background silently downloading the Windows 10 bits so that on July 29th, Microsoft didn't have to push down you know, 300 million copies of Windows 10 across the Internet. Uh, and so, but uh, yes, if you upgrade to Windows 10, there's going to be a fair bit of bandwidth involved. Uh, the other issue, of course, is that uh, with Windows Update, which Microsoft's had for a very long time, uh, Microsoft is, is now going to be updating the operating system uh, much more often and much more extensively, very, very likely. Uh, again, much like what we've become used to with mobile phones. And so, uh, so those kinds of updates are going to happen a lot more often, and those are all going to be downloads. Uh, if you're on a you know, relatively high-speed broadband, it probably doesn't matter. 
if you're on a, a metered network like a you know a Verizon 3G or 4G or something where you have a bandwidth cap or or even a band a broadband connection with a bandwidth cap, then it, it maybe matters quite a lot. As to the second one, are they using your computer to share updates with other computers? The answer to that is they might be. Uh, and that is a configurable setting. If you go into Windows 10 Settings Updates and click on Advanced Option, you can choose whether or not you want your computer to share updates with other computers. One of the settings is, yes, share my updates with other computers, which means it could actually be sharing it with other computers across the Internet. The second uh, option is to only share with other computers within your local network. That's what I have turned on on mine. So if my wife or one of my other machines or a coworker or somebody uh, is on my local network and need the Windows 10 update that my machine has, they can get that from my machine. Um, it's all in the background, of course. Um, but it's not, my machine is not going to be sharing Windows 10 updates across the Internet. I would hope not. That doesn't sound secure. <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm a little skeptical about that particular setting. It, to me, it sounds like, uh, you know, some of these BitTorrent kind of situations where you set up these peer-to-peer networks. It sounds like Microsoft is setting up a bit of a, a peer-to-peer Windows Update network. And, you know, I understand why they'd want to do that, uh, and I understand that there can be some benefits, but I'm not sure why I would want to have my machine participate in it, um, even though I do have a fairly fast Internet connection. Maybe I'm being selfish by... Uh, not wanting to uh, to share that, but I don't, so I have it turned off. But luckily, it's easy to turn off. Again, just go into the settings, updates, advanced options, and you can configure that there. Um, and you can also tell it not to share updates with anything, even on your local network, if you want to do that. Uh, and the third question about Windows 10 being uh, installed without their knowledge or without their affirmative assent to that, um, that one I'm a little skeptical of. You know, I, I think what most likely happened, I have heard a couple of people, you know, report incidents like that. I haven't heard it very much, and my suspicion is that probably what happened is that they accidentally clicked, yes, upgrade me to Windows 10, because, again, in the weeks leading up to Windows, to the Windows 10 release, Microsoft did have a pop-up that was appearing that said, hey, do you want Windows 10? And, you know, I, I sort of suspect that those people who think that Windows 10 got installed without their permission, they, either they or maybe somebody else who sits at their computer occasionally may have, not realizing what that meant, clicked yes. So that's my guess. I haven't heard of anything of a confirmed report of Windows 10 being installed without permission yet. Good to know, Ben. And let's pause here for a commercial break, and we'll be right back. In recent years, the legal sector has come under increasing pressure to improve efficiency and client services. CloudMask enables law firms and solo attorneys to leverage free and low-cost software as a service, such as Google Apps and Office 365, to improve efficiency and client service while reducing costs, strengthening compliance with data privacy laws, and ensuring that legal ethical duties are met. Cloud Mask Encryption is even certified by 26 governments around the world. Sign up now for your 60-day free account at cloudmask.com. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the country. Connect your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit ServeNow.com. 
Welcome back to the Digital Edge on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our subject is Windows 10, what lawyers need to know. And our guest is Ben Shore, the CEO of Roland Shore & Tower, a professional consulting firm headquartered in Flagstaff, Arizona, with offices in Hawaii and Oregon. Ben, do people need to buy new hardware to use Windows 10? The answer, generally speaking, is no. Any hardware you have that supported Windows 7 or Windows 8 should work with Windows 10. I've, I've heard very limited examples where things wouldn't work, uh, usually with third-party peripherals. Um, but for me, everything I've installed Windows 10 on right now has worked just fine. Even my HP multifunction uh, device just worked right out of the box. And I realized I forgot to answer your, your question earlier about whether or not uh, attorneys should upgrade to Windows 10, and if so, uh, when. My answer to that question would be yes, I think, uh, I think they should, but the when is there's no rush. Don't rush into it immediately. I would probably give it a few weeks or even a few months uh, and see how things shake out and let the new updates, the fixes come out. You know, people have often said never install version 1.0. Well, we're, we're kind of in version 1.0 now, even though the beta testing was very extensive for Windows 10. So I would do it, uh, but I'd probably wait a little bit longer. Good. Thanks for remembering to answer that question, because I think that's a fundamental question that a lot of listeners probably have. Another fundamental question relating to the upgrade is, if I upgrade, does all of my existing software still work on Windows? I'm pretty sure the Microsoft Office will, but have you heard any complaints about legacy software not working? Um, I haven't heard very many complaints about legacy software. Uh, so far, it seems like compatibility is very good. Uh, and unless you have something really oddball, uh, my understanding is that every, all the existing software is working just fine with Windows 10. Not to say you won't trip over something that doesn't, but it would probably have to be something pretty esoteric. So I guess the big question now is, what does the darn thing cost? Well, for most users, Windows 10 is actually going to be free, at least for the first year. And I need to clarify on that, I think. Uh, but if you've got Windows 7 or Windows 8, either home or pro uh, or business, you're going to get an update to Windows 10 for free uh, through July 29th, 2016. If you don't have one of those versions... Uh, obviously, if you buy a new computer, it'll come with Windows 10, and the price will be sort of bundled in there. If you have Windows 10 Enterprise, then you'll have to buy, uh, or if you have Windows uh, 8 Enterprise, you'll have to buy the Windows 10 Enterprise licenses, that, and that's not going to be free. Now, if you're coming from Windows XP or one of the older operating systems, then Windows 10 is, uh, is $199 for the business version, uh, which is what I recommend, or that I believe it's called the Pro version of Windows 10. Uh, and Windows Home, Windows 10 Home is, I believe, $119 if you're coming from one of those older operating systems. Free from Microsoft. I'm still having trouble processing that. What's the catch? Are they going to start charging me for it after the first year? I know they are <laughs> if I download it, but what's the uh, uh, future of paying for Windows? Yeah, that's a pretty common misconception, too, actually. Uh, when people heard, oh, it's free for the first year, they thought, oh, okay, sure, I'm going to install it for free, and then on July 30th, 2016, you're going to send me a bill. The answer to that is if you install Windows 10 during that first year, it's you have it, and it's free to you forever for as long as you use it. So they're not going to start charging you after next year if you install it during that first year period. Now, if you wait until after July 29th, 2016 to get your free upgrade, then your free upgrade's gone. And so that's why I tell people, you know, you can wait. People who are eligible, which is most people who are eligible for that free upgrade to Windows 10, you don't have to actually claim that free upgrade until next July. But once you claim it, it's yours, and they are not going to charge you after that for Windows 10. So... Um, you're not going to have that situation. But if you wait too long, 
then you're probably going to be looking at $199. Don't worry. All the lawyers will be upgrading on that very last day, Ben. <laughs> oh, yeah. I expect a lot of calls on July 28, 2016. Oh, yes. You're going to get them. I have no doubt. Well, thank you, Ben, for joining us today. I, I know that as I've been on the road lecturing, questions about Windows 10 come fast and furious. It's on a lot of lawyers' minds. So we appreciate getting your expertise, and, and you really do know more about Microsoft uh, 10 than anyone else I know. So it was a great pleasure to have you with us today. Always a pleasure to be with you guys. And that does it for this edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. And remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on iTunes. And if you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us on iTunes. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye, Miss Sherrod. Happy trails, cowboy. Thanks for listening to the Digital Edge, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join Sharon Nelson and Jim Calloway for their next podcast covering the latest topic related to lawyers and technology. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.